you have everything with inside of you that you need to move beyond, to be what you need to be, what you want to be. You have to believe that first. You have to believe that it can start with you and to think about it from that internal. What are you doing to help yourself move forward? And if you're stuck, if you're stuck on that, then find your pack and find your tribe because I think they'll nudge you. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the great pleasure of having Mr. Anderson with me today. No, I'm kidding. It's Todd Sanders. Todd, how are things up in the north, in the yeah. northern Midwest? I, it, people are yeah. talking about snow and stuff. Do you have any of that? So it was two weeks ago. It was 80 degrees and beautiful. And I live, I live just outside Detroit. And we woke up yesterday morning. And I'm looking out at my tree and you hear this, this beautiful old cherry tree in the backyard that's in this like beautiful pink blossom. It got up and woke up and, and I looked out and things just weighed down with like three inches of wet snow. And and it was interesting. It probably plays into like mindset and the way we think about things. Because while I was depressed about that, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's 25 degrees and snowing. It had this beautiful halo of the sun in the background and everything. And I was kind of like, wow. It's amazing now. And then I quickly remembered like seeing Jerome out hitting the streets, like pounding pavement, which I love. It's like some of his best content. I love that. Then I said, that's it. I got to get up my time to go pound the pavement. So it was wonderful. Man, how far did you go? Uh, I do about three miles. And it's interesting because I'm always like out there and I kind of do like this, like what I call an old man shuffle. So it's, you know. (laughs) It's not quite. It's not quite running, but it's not quite walking. So it's someplace in between. It's called um, a trot, Todd. It's called it's a, a trot. trot. Yeah, it's called a trot. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then I remind myself that I don't. I'm not measuring myself against other people. We were just talking about Dave Goggins a minute ago. I'm not measuring myself against other people. I'm doing the best that is is for me, and it's my time and enjoy it. You know. <laughs> For sure. It is your time. You're working on yourself. You're making that investment. And if you're not making that investment, I can assure you, your body's going to let you know at some point that you should have. So for the people who are watching the video and a ton of people don't actually realize that we have a YouTube video, most people just consume the audio. But for those who are on YouTube, they will get the pleasure of seeing a bunch of stuff going on in your background. And I think this physical background is going to take us into your background in life. And so there's something on the wall that says, don't give up. (laughs) And, you know, people are like, what's going on there? So hopefully you can tell us about not giving up the ship and just kind of bring us into your journey and how you came to the place where you are today. Yeah. Awesome. So um, grew up uh, outside Louisville, Kentucky and was an athlete, played football, had wonderful experience eventually had, had always been kind of called to serve and, and to serve had many different meanings for me. You know, I, I was, I was faith filled and, and then there was this public service aspect and then there was military service. And, and I had the opportunity to, uh, to go to the Naval Academy 
leave the Naval Academy, get commissioned in the Marine Corps, and then spend spend most of my adult life in the Marine Corps as a Marine officer, Marine infantry officer. So it's, it's you know, I've kind of surrounded myself. The, the heritage of that experience impacts me and it positively impacts me. So the, the flag is, is a, a simple reminder from John Paul Jones, Battle of Lake Erie, deep in battle with the, uh, the British. And uh, they ran up a flag. It was a hastily made flag during the battle of Don't Give Up the Ship. And so it was you know, a well-known story for, for many of us that were in the Naval Service and Marine Corps. And I put that up when I made my coffin. My, you know, you can either call that a Corona office or a coffin office, you know, as I did here. So, <laughs> so when I made my caucus here, I put the flag up, and I thought it was probably apropos to to remind us where we are and where we should be. And as dark as times can be, you don't give up the ship. Don't let the quit in. You know, don't stop. Over my shoulder here is my battle standard, my company colors from a task force that I took to Iraq. I went to Iraq late 08 through 09. Amazing experience. We were there during amazing times in Iraq. Transitioning high level of U.S. and coalition interaction and support. We were there during the transition, official transition to, to the Iraqis and to the new Iraqi army and the police. So being a part of that was, was pretty amazing. And I was telling Jerome, you know, it's like as a commander turns over units, you know, it's appropriate to give a gift or something. And that was just not, that's not the way I am. It's not the way our team was, you know, the men and women that were on that task force. And I said, the only thing I want are the colors that we took to Iraq. So, so I have this faded, nasty, and I'm sure it smells too, but I keep it, you know, behind glass there. And there's just a few other kind of pieces of, of memory. And these are good, good memories for me on my journey. They remind me both of the really positive things I learned along the way. And I mentioned in Jerome earlier, it also reminds me of a lot of missteps that I made, <laughs> a lot of trips uh, and falls that I had. So, you know, after all of that, I, I had the opportunity to retire and have been doing consulting, private consulting and with firms for about the past five, six years. Now. Wow. So it sounds like super secret covert spy action when <laughs> somebody who was in the Marines says they're a consultant. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I work, I work with the Crystal Group now and, in, you know, General Stammer Crystal is the retired general is, is the CEO of the firm. And it, it is kind of funny, like we do traditional consulting. We absolutely love it. We do leadership development. We do organizational development. We do heavy analytics, which, which the geek community loves. And regardless of all of that and having done this now for about 10, 15 years, We'll still get these random emails and calls from people around the world that says, well, I know that you guys have this secret, like it's a cover, like the consulting group's a cover job. Could you come and like, no, we literally do like organizational development. <laughs> okay, Todd, I believe you. It's all right. I, I But I instantly think uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That movie was absolutely amazing. They drove really cool cars and they were consultants. <laughs> you know, funny enough, I had I suffered seven broken noses between I boxed in college and played football in the Marine Corps. So I had to have nose surgery, gosh, probably back in like 2007, 2008. And I did ask for Brad Pitt's nose. Can you, you tell? Yeah. <laughs> this is this is gonna be great. So You've committed your life to leadership. And I mean, that started probably at an early age. I would suspect you were probably a captain of the team, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it's funny. I was kind of thinking back to this. 
And every step, every path in my life, every change that I had, it was really about letting go of, of thinking about myself or letting go of selfishness or, or letting go of like what my perception of, of what I should be. And then choosing to join really what I would characterize as like a new tribe, a new tribe, a new team. When you, when you come to organizations like that, when you come to a new tribe, they have norms, they have standards, they have rules. And when you choose to be a part of something, you are making a conscious decision to let go of a lot of like the baggage that you have or the, the habits you have or the ways you act. So as I went along, I always found a way to make a commitment to join the new tribe. And then while I'm in that tribe, focus on being the best member of the tribe as possible. And in doing that, that then presents opportunities for you to assume some form of leadership in that tribe. And in it's you know it's a it's a Western corporate thought to say leadership is a top person and everything like that. When in reality, around the world and for millennia, the concept of tribe was every individual in that tribe had a very unique role to play. So the concept of assuming leadership in a tribe was to be put in a role for the benefit of the tribe, so it could be better. And and I had that opportunity a few times. Wow. So the person who's listening right now, they're probably running or driving. They're like, wait, what about my identity? Why yeah. do I have to be a shapeshifter and change for the entire world? What, what do you say back to that? And I'm sure it's part of your daily conversations with leaders all over the country of, you know, the norms of the tribe versus individuality. And it's a, it's a real dichotomy people are working through. It is. I, I love that question because it, it is, I, I think it is a popular, challenging question for us. And I think over this past year of, of the virus and political unrest and social unrest and economic upheaval, people are, they're frustrated with having to give up, up of themselves for others. And they're looking for opportunities to retain self. When, when you choose to join that tribe, you make an intentional decision based on the characteristics, the, the nature, what that tribe stands for, what it means. When I choose to join that, it's, it's really under the auspice of I am wanting to stretch myself and be better. Because what I see in that tribe is better than what I am alone or what I can do alone. So I think one of the beautiful things about when you join a really healthy tribe, when you join a really healthy team or company, whatever, there, there is no, there's no like punishment for you to, to leave yourself. It is a conscious decision that you're making to be part of it. And it's also not a binary thing. That doesn't mean that you have to let go of yourself or how you think of yourself because the tribe values that individual and you as an individual value that tribe. And, you know, I, I, I mean, it's the, the most common comment. And you look at the picture of the wolf behind you is the strength of the, the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack, right? Road gear kid. And I think that's that's probably a good analogy for people. Wow. Wow. This is going to be good. Okay. So, you know, let's move from the self-image piece, because I think the self-image for Todd is he identifies himself as a leader and a servant leader at that. And he comes into places not trying to make it about him, engages and supports and contributes in a way where people begin to see him as the linchpin, right? He's the guy that's making the difference happen. And then others get excited about supporting and eventually he gets elevated because of the way that he served others. Do you think that's fair? I do. I, I appreciate it. You know, it's, I think for me, as part of my growth and part of, of my life and part of the journey that I've been on, 
there is that humility aspect where I, I think when I was younger, and this is probably true for most of us, like I probably wasn't as humble as I, I should have been or could have been. So now I, I do take solace in knowing and seeing success of others and success of others is, is very meaningful for me. I think we'll get to significance soon enough, but I think the only real significant, only real success is significance. And so let's talk about some of the tribes. Let's talk about some of the relationships that you formed over the years that were transformational, helped you move to this place of peace and prosperity. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely, I thought about this and, and probably the best, the best way to characterize it would be advocates and adversaries. And, and it's not as probably clean a split as like this binary world between like what is an advocate and what is an adversary. Because the truth is your perception, the eye of the holder, the perception of the reasonable world would say that one, you know, what you believe is an advocate may actually be an adversary and vice versa. So on that path, it is critical that you find ever kind of smaller, tight pieces of that tribe or, or pieces of, of support system for you. You've, you've heard this probably in like modern pop culture, the idea the average of your five closest friends, like that concept it is very well re, uh, researched and documented this idea that the people you surround yourself with will influence who you are. And I think sometimes we're not mindful about that. Having two teenage daughters, I, I'm constantly trying to, to reinforce that with them. It's like surround yourself with people that are going to push you, they are going to support you, they are going to be there for you. So when I think back about those people that were advocates for me, there definitely were these amazing people that stood up and were traditional like cheerleader advocates. Like I could do no wrong and like things were great and always there for me. My parents are very much like that. I think, you know, I've had funny and close friends along the path that have always been like, Perhaps more valuable for me on the advocacy side have been people that have been more critical and held me accountable. And they've pushed me beyond my laziness or my missteps. They've said, you are better than that. You have, you have something better than you. The top of that list, I put my wife, Maura. She is, has always been an amazing advocate for me. And she has always been a tough advocate for me. And for her to hold me accountable is, has been amazing. On, on the adversary side, I think it's it's interesting because, again, it's this perception idea. Sometimes adversaries are easy to see. They're the people that, that you feel as if they're in their way, they're push, they're trying to block you, they're they're jealous of your success or jealous of, of the opportunities you've had. I actually think like the, the, the more dangerous adversaries out there are the ones that are uh, unable to give you the good feedback to hold you accountable. So the ones that are like toxically positive, right? <laughs> because they're constantly feeding a narrative that that you don't have to work as hard as you should, you know, or that it's okay if you don't wake up early and go do a workout, right? Or it's okay if you don't write that thank you note back to Jerome on, right? Because it's not okay. And, and you don't what you don't want to do is fill yourself with people that are feeding your compromises because that will put you into a path that that will just you it's hard to come back from. Man. So I call those people enablers and they help make you delusional. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's hard because it feels good, right? It feels good when people agree with you, <laughs> your laziness, or agree with you not, not holding yourself accountable. And I think that's where, as we're working through life, you have to have very clear 
standards of what you're expecting from yourself, what you're expecting from others. And then not just have those standards, but bring them to life every single day and have have it on an app on your phone and it's popping up. I've got, you know, I, I'm not crazy about to-do lists or anything. I use a to-do app and it's probably five or six times a day, a little phrase will pop up and it says, do your duty. And, and that's that's a, a comment from, from Stoicism and Stoic Wisdom. And to me, that is a very meaningful and simple thing. And it, it reminds me, it snaps me back into reality. So I'm doing whatever, right? If I'm cruising around, I've got stuff to do, or I'm playing around or sketching or whatever, because I'm a wanderer. I get the little beep and I look, do my duty. All right. What's on my list today? Let's get this done. Oh, we're about to go down the rabbit hole. You gave me two amazing things. So we've never talked about stoicism on the podcast. We're going to go there. Then we're going to come back and talk about you classifying yourself as a wanderer. So what is stoicism? Why are you a follower of the philosophy? Give you those two and I'll come back with. Oh, man. It's right. It, it, you know, before we joined, I was, I, I was thumbing through a well-worn version of Marcus Aurelius' meditations. So I, I will probably people in the audience that are much more academically educated on the background of Stoicism than I am, which in and of itself is is kind of like a funny conundrum with Stoicism because the the root of it is and the, and the root of real ancient philosophy and, and wherever you, you find it. So uh, I've also got my my book on Zen over there and, <laughs> and everything else. The root of, of ancient philosophy was putting it into practice. Yes, they had wonderful conversations. Yes, they pontificated and they and they preached and they they proselytized. But the ultimate celebration of these philosophies was putting it into action. And, and I think what's compelling and attractive about Stoicism is that um, they hold that as like one of the core principles is like, you must put this into action. Marcus Aurelius has a fabulous quote that I've shared with you know a couple of prints with a few people. And it's, waste no more time arguing what a good man is, be one. And I just love the simplicity of it, right? And like, I can talk all day, especially in, our, in the job that I'm in. I can talk all day about leadership traits and what's what's good, what's bad, what research says. And at the end of the day, I often find myself looking, looking at clients and looking at colleagues and peers and saying like, you know, it, this is truly academic. Like the, the be one is something that you need to come to. So, you know, it, at its root, I think stoicism, it preaches self and it preaches self-control. It preaches that not only can you, should you probably be temperate and should you not get angered and, and, and lose your temper with people or, or do rash and be overly emotional, but you have the control to do that. So you have literally the, everything you need in your brain to change, to reframe, to refocus, to change your attitude, change your mindset, whatever word resonates with you. That has been life-changing for me. And I think what's interesting is it's, I mean, it's not like it's anything new. Right? <laughs> the idea of like, you could, how many times my parents said, you control your attitude, you control the way you see that. And oh, whatever, you know, but then I listen to some dead guy, 3000 years old. And I'm like, oh, of course, of course, they're right. You know, um, it was in a book, Todd. Of course, it was true. In a book. how could your parents know any better than what's in the book? <laughs> so so it, there has been this draw for me to the, that that control side of it. And I think that in a positive sense, like positive control, not letting yourself be taken away carried away by rash emotions, rash thoughts. And that plays into the idea of being a wanderer, I think. It plays into the idea of, of, of like helping me focus. You know, I am, I consider myself a polymath. I'm very interested in everything. You know, I, I say from philosophy to physics, you know, <laughs> mathematics to 
than anything else. And while that's that's fun, it and and it's it's interesting and it helps keep me energized. It, it can get in the way because I kind of come back to that stoic side. The only thing that matters is like what do we actually do? So you can play with these ideas and you can take it. And you can, grab that and you have these cool conversations and you can spend a lot of time doing all kinds of stuff. And, and the team out there, they probably know is like you, you hear a new tactic, you hear a new initiative, you hear a new thing that you can do. And you're like, Oh, I'm just going to get into that. And I'm going to dig into it. At, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a big fan of helping snap back in to your focus. And are you on the path to achieve the things that you want on path to make the impact that you want to do to have the significance that you want to do? How am I progressing on that path? And, and, you know, what do I need to do to stay on that path? And when do I want to take mindful deviations from that path? And, and how will I use that deviation to pull back in and inform the, the journey on the path? It's all about intentionality. I, 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 I love what you're doing here. This, this is good. And so you. I'm going to force you to go here because you didn't go. Yeah, right. Yeah. My favorite stoic quote is you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. Right. What does that mean to you? Because I know you've heard it and seen it plenty of times. And I imagine that while you were serving and thank you for your service in in these war zones, death crossed your mind a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a I'll, I'll paraphrase it. You know, the quote is you can leave this life today. Let that guide your actions, your thoughts, your words. And the Stoics, you know, probably two big hits against them. One is that they're unemotional, which really isn't true. And the second is that they're obsessed with dying. And it's like kind of like this fatalism that they have. When, as you look at that, and as you think about these times, it gives you an opportunity to realize that the things that you're doing right now are, are meaningful and should be meaningful. And it's... It's not that uh, you have this like despondent look of death. You know, the idea is that we all know that there is a time for us, you know, and whatever your spiritual beliefs are, your religious beliefs, your philosophical beliefs, you know, it's called life and no one gets out alive, right? (laughs) So it's like, you've got to set your path and remember that, that at any moment you're done. If you think about that, it can be actually like quite relieving because it gives you the permission to say, I'm going to put the most of myself into the moment that I've got right now and focus on that. And, and contrary to being like hedonistic and running around and be like, oh, that's it. I've got a short time. I'm going to party and, and drink and do all this stuff. It's actually, again, to that significant sign of it, it's like it, it's a reminder to you to say, um, be mindful and intentional about what you're doing because you don't know. And, and I think that's that's a good enough thing. When you serve in, in combat zone and, and haven't been in a few different, haven't been in a, a few kind of uh, gnarly situations, there's the idea of death is is one that is probably not useful in the moment, and, and therefore, if it's not useful in the moment, you try not to bring it back up. There was a uh, wonderfully horrible Facebook post that went around uh, maybe five or six years ago, and it was. It was uh, by a Marine officer that was a friend of a friend of a friend. And he wrote about the way that he approached combat. And and he said it was, again, I'll paraphrase it horribly, but essentially you go into these situations with the idea that your death is already like predetermined. Like you know that you're going to die and you recognize that you have a lot of control over when that time comes. So it's, there's this fascinating idea of the Stockdale paradox. It's recognizing the the dire straits, so to speak, of what you're feeling now and still maintaining the hope, focus and discipline to know that you can come out on the other side. And, and I think that that probably showed up more than anything for us. 
we were going to do everything in our power to make sure that we were doing safe and that everybody came home and everybody did the right thing. And we were not going to become slaves to a fear of death. Ooh, slave to a fear of death, slave to a fear of failure, slave to fear of losing. I, we, we could talk about slaves all day. And this is, this is compelling for me. You, you said a word that I think is pretty interesting, hope. I, my dad was a Marine. I never heard him say the word hope. I, it just doesn't seem like hope is a thing. It's we have this plan, we're working against it. And because we're executing, it's working. So talk to me about the power of hope. That's that's fascinating. So, you know, as it's probably everybody's seen on, you know, the, the cheesy movies, you know, hope is not a good plan on bumper stickers or whatever. And that's 100% true. When you're involved in operations, when you're involved in anything you're doing, and whether that's whether that's in a combat situation, whether that's in, in, in volunteering at your local food bank, whether it's you know venturing out on a new effort, you have so much in your hands, you have so much in your tribe, you have so much in your mind that you can prepare and you can move forward. You would never be so lazy and just say, well, we'll kind of see how it plays out. That's different than saying, I do believe that it will be successful, whatever the it is. And I am hopeful that it'll be successful. So there's like this, it hits this very weird like scale of, of like reality and, and hopefulness. And I think as with anything in the world, everything in moderation, including moderation. So everything in moderation is probably the way to go forward with this and to say, there's definitely reality. And I know that. And there's definitely this emotional thing that I call hope or, or, you know, like chance or grace or whatever. Realize that those two things exist at the same time. Realize that you have uh, control perhaps only over pieces of this, or perhaps we, we think we have control over it. But the beautiful thing that we do have control over is the way that our mind perceives the balance and the usefulness of each of those. Our mind perceives. I told you, I'm, we're going to go deep today. What do you mean, <laughs> mind perceives? Isn't it just the thing? I mean, isn't it as so and such? Yeah, yeah. No, so we could get really crazy and, and we could dance on the, the red pill, blue pill concept and say, it's coming next. Don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> reality that, that we, that we, things that we call reality, right? My wife's in the backyard with my pug right now, you know, my cherry tree here, the things that I call reality are, it's comforting for me to say it's reality in, in truth. And in like the, the true neurological, biological sense, these are the things that I am perceiving. People perceive things very different. If I took my glasses off, I would perceive it very differently. All of this information comes into us. And we have this wonderful computer in our head that is able to process this information. And it comforts us to say that this is reality. And in our brains, because they are primed to protect us, like since evolution, the beginning of time, they're primed to keep us safe. We, we find ways to rationalize perception, and then we find ways to hide challenge or fear, which is, is an emotion that we're feeling. So that process is actually within your control. I can physically look at something as easy as I can look at my, my pink cherry blossom tree. And if I told myself a billion times that those are not pink flowers, they're actually green flowers or whatever, I would then begin to believe it. So is the same fact that when I perceive something that is difficult, scary, overwhelming, 
when I choose to process that perception in a different way, I then enable different results to happen or enable different outcomes to, to be achieved. Not to get too, I'm sure I'm going to get, you're going to get an email. It's just like some neuroscientist out there that is, is looking at new opportunities. And he's going to say, hey, Todd was cool, but Jerome, he's totally wrong about so it's very possible someone's going to say that I'm not, but from what I remember, that's essentially how your brain is working. What's up, Tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. And I would tell the neuroscientists that they're wrong and I completely agree with Todd and (laughs) you need to go actually experiment with the matrix so that you can see that Todd's completely right. And so going down the same vein, let's, let's talk a little bit about making the shift. You know, you probably had a number of different opportunities, situations that you could consider a red pill moment. But what I'm looking for is, you know, a pretty cool story where something happened and you knew that your life was forever changed and that you were going to live this amazing life that you have now. Oh, I think you framed that perfectly for me. I appreciate that. I definitely, you know, I, I was thinking like, I definitely had like maybe like little bitty like red pills, like I took a nibble of it or like I had a little pink pill, you know? And different paths on my way, different times in my path. I think the the true, like meaningful, like all in red pill really happened when I I left the Marine Corps and and went into this this crazy new world called civilian world, right? And uh, it's a bit of a cool story. It's a fun story, and people like when I tell it. To me, it's just kind of like something happened. I uh, the last three years of my life as a Marine in, in uniform, I spent as an international military advisor. And I would go to wait, 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 wait. I hate to interrupt you, Todd, but if that doesn't sound like a spy, I don't know what does. I'm an international (laughs) military advisor. Think about that. Put that on a business card, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I couldn't. (laughs) So it was like there was definitely some coolness to it. I think, you know, I serve an interesting junction between what would be like traditional uniformed service people and then, you know, the intelligence community the special operations community, I kind of served as a key liaison, a key pivot for the two. And we we essentially had accounts. Like so we were account managers. I had several of the the more difficult accounts. Yeah, I'm ethnically Russian background. So of course I had Ukraine. I had Ukraine at the time where, where Russia was approaching from the West and Crimea was in challenge. It was just kind of insane. Every time I went to, to Ukraine, I couldn't go up to like a street corner without some babushka coming out and grabbing my arm and expecting me to walk her across the street. Cause I was like, I totally look like I live in Odessa or something like that. But uh, one of the, uh, one of the militaries, one of the, the organizations, countries that I supported was Lebanon which is uh, a fascinatingly complex world. And the if, if you've never, you know, people, most people understand a bit of the conflict that is, that is Lebanon, Israel, Palestine, Jordan. There's some wonderful resources out there. I definitely say like read from Beirut to Jerusalem, but that gives a wonderful kind of breakdown of modern Mideast challenges. 
So going going to Lebanon, we had uh, an interesting task at hand. The the Lebanese were not only trying to deal with uh, a rise of extremism within Lebanon and within Lebanese military, but they're also trying to stave off uh, all of the tension that they have with Israel. And uh, so they were in a really really tough position. I firmly believe that that they were they were trying to do the right thing, and it was hard for them to convince essentially anybody that they were doing the right thing because you know the outside world would just look and say, oh my gosh, look. You know, you, you have this terrorist organization in the South that has control. And you have this this part of your military has got, you know, this this extremist cell that popped up. And you know what? Like they were doing their best. They really were. So I had uh, I'd had that relationship for a while. Fascinating friends, fascinating world and experience. On my last trip there, I had already had already applied to, to retire from the Marine Corps, had orders and everything. So I, I was I was on a flight back to the United States. I was stationed in Italy at the time, back to the United States at the end of May 2013. So this was like the second week of May. And <laughs> I was essentially turning over the account to, to my colleague that was replacing me. So we at this point, Syria had kind of had grown as, as a major conflict. The humanitarian challenges were amazing. The Syrian-Lebanese border shared very much like a Canadian-U.S. border before, but it was very open. So you just see like floods and floods of, of Syrians into Lebanon trying to escape the, the war. I, I, I talked to my buddy and I said, look, we've got to go over. I've got to introduce you to my colleagues. So we fly over. We spent three, four days in Beirut. It was it was a really good trip. It was really tense, tension filled. So I had been on a few trips prior and over the past couple of years. And you could just feel it. It was it was like that electric in the air, like something was going on. And finished our last day, went and was having dinner at the embassy, had a flight at like 4 a.m. the next morning at, from the airport. So at like 1 a.m., we were sitting in, the, re- in the, the restaurant, the cafe in the embassy, and our Lebanese security guards that worked for the embassy came up and they said, okay, it's time to go. You know, you guys, let's go. So we go down, we get in the, in the truck and they do a safety brief as they go. Okay, so here's the chase car. You guys are in the Suburbans, bulletproof glass, behind you is stacked weapons and, and gear if you need it. And we're dressed like, you know, like on a golfing trip, right? <laughs> We've got like polos and khakis on. So we jump into the jump into the truck and we start heading to the airport. At at that point, we're driving down the highway. As we get to the highway, we ended up seeing kind of a glowing as we're coming over a rise. And there had been tires set across the highway. They all set on fire, and uh, it really set up and was like that kind of a dangerous roadblock for us. So immediately, these guys are unbelievably professionally trained. Immediately, the chase car turned around and went up the down ramp. We flip around. We do like this crazy car turn flip around and go back up. And, and now we're driving um, through <laughs> like the the inner city suburban area of Beirut, trying to make our way to the airport, which is still like 10 miles down the road. And as we're driving, I remember this like very stoic based and, you know, good looking, smart, sharp, young Lebanese guy. And he turns around and he says, get to the go bags. So we turn around and my, my buddy, who's a pilot and uh, not making fun of pilots, but he looks at me, he's like, what, what are we doing? And I reach around, I grabbed, grabbed the rifles and grabbed the body armor and stuff. I said, well, it looks like we got to suit up here in case uh, something happens. So we end up going on like the gnarliest, like it was a car chase without a car chase. We were just like gnarly driving. We're sitting there. Of course, like we're in the back of this thing and the, and the guards in front have all started smoking as they're driving with like one hand, 100 miles an hour down the alleys. And I'm just 
just like, this is it. I didn't have to come on this trip. I totally agree. I felt like George Costanza. Here I am. This is it, you know? So we end up going through and getting to safely. They had radioed ahead. The Lebanese army had met us and then kind of escorted us into the airport. We show up at, the, at Lebanon Beirut International Airport. And, and it was something out of like this surreal movie because we show up and we open the door and like, smoke comes out the door because everybody's smoking and freaked out. We're sweating like crazy. We're all geared up. We've got, you know, I've got a bag of grenades and, and a rifle in my hand. And you get out and you hear this like music, like, doo, 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 doo. you know, it's like the music on the outside waiting to go into the airport. So we get out and the guard gets out and he looks at us and says, please leave rifles in the car. And we're like, we could do that. So we take our stuff off, put, put my bag of grenades back in, put my rifle in the car, grab my little, <laughs> little carry-on and say, okay, and we go and you check in, you went through security and here we are in this like beautiful airport, kind of look at each other and we're like, well, you think the bar's open now? You know, maybe go get a beer. <laughs> it was just a surreal thing. So that, that trip happened really as I was getting ready to get out of the Marine Corps. And that, that's a fun trip. When I ended up flying back, it took me about two days, just the travel, the crazy travel to get back to, to Italy where I was stationed. And I remember walking into the house and lying down in bed. It was early in the morning, lying down in bed with my wife. And she rolled over and she says, we're moving to Michigan. And that was the first thing I remember. I said, oh, okay. So we woke up the next morning and started talking. And that's that was that red pill moment where it was it, it hit me. That like within, within two weeks, it was no longer cool Todd that was really good at his job. It was wide open in front of you and no one's going to give it to you. So... So you have to define your path. And it was uh, it was scary and exciting and probably, you know, one of the bigger challenges I've ever been in. So I probably went too long <laughs> on that story. Wait, wait. So being chased after having tires across the road on fire, <laughs> grabbing rifles isn't scary, but hanging out in civilian world where you don't know if you're going to eat or not because you got to earn money is terrifying serious terrifying oh yeah it was you know and it's um of course it's all relative right like i was at the top of my game in the marine corps and i had had phenomenal teammates i'd had phenomenal leaders i had worked hard my family had supported me and and then, I, you know, my wife, with the help of my wife, we realized, like, what was this all for? Like, the family was challenged, was being challenged. My kids were small at the time. My marriage was being challenged because I was, I was all in on the Marine Corps. And this was just uncharted territory for me. And, you know, the idea, the terrifying idea of that, you know, I've got to go and, and, and do something just so different was terrifying. All right. <laughs> it was new. And I think that's totally the thing, new. right? When when things are new, we tend to fear them because we're not comfortable with them. It's like, ah, I don't really know what to do with that. And you knew how to shoot a gun. You, you knew how to drive to evade people. I, I still don't know how that's not scary. I, I know it had to be at least an adrenaline rush. But I mean, if you expect me to believe that you're not a spy now, I'm not sure how... We're actually going to, anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm so, totally so, and, and, and on top of that, a Russian spy, it taught. <laughs> this is great. Oh, don't All say right. that. Now I'm going to get like phone calls from the FBI or something. You know? Well, <laughs> the funny part is, you know, one of my favorite books is uh, Sizing People Up. It's written by Robin Drake and he was handling Russian spies. And so anytime I meet somebody who's of Russian descent, I, 
I I just play with it and I mean absolutely nothing by it. It, it, it could be offensive to people, but I I just it it intrigues me because I watch all these movies, you know, magic and espionage type movies are like my favorite things to consume for fun and leisure just because of the amount of thought that has to go into it. But anyway, enough about me. So yeah. you're you're scared. <laughs> you're scared. How yeah. do you overcome that? What, what were some of the challenges oh, that you, you worked through in order to overcome the fear? So th- this is this is a, a challenging story. It's interesting again because, like in your perception, the things that the things that I was doing in the Marine Corps, the things you know, the opportunities I had were were scary. But we were so prepared, right? So not only were we prepared, we were supported. You had your tribe that was all like high quality as well. When when I went out into the into the real world, I I brought a lot of baggage with me. Some of that baggage I had, I actually had had forgotten and lost some of the things that had helped me actually be a really successful Marine. Things like having a tribe, things like humility, things like discipline around what I'm doing. And so I approached I approached this new world with a ridiculous disrespect for the task set in front of me. I, I could not appreciate how how much work went into changing the things you did, changing your life. For the longest time, I carried anger and contempt and this ridiculous blaming of everything. Oh, it's, it's this external focus of like blaming everybody else and blaming uh, they don't like me, they don't like that, or they just, they're not smart enough, or you've never done anything. And it was, it was eating me alive to the point where I literally remember I dropped my kids off at, at the new school and was driving home and kind of just started like a little bit of a twitch and was like, what's going on with that? By the time I got home, I was like full on panic attack and, and it came out of nowhere. And it wasn't like, it just, it just kind of all like reared up and looking back on it. And I've talked about it and I thought about it. It was, it was like the last straw. It was my brain's way of telling my body, Hey, he's not listening. So I want you to just do a reset right now. I want you to reset so that he actually pays attention. And, and as I sat there kind of like having a really tough panic attack, it really just like, you know, it was like a, a hammer to the forehead. And I was like, something's got to change. And there was this, uh, you know, I, I would blame it. I would say it's like, I would attribute it to synchronicity or chance or luck. But the truth is I had, I had built this tribe around me. It was just waiting to help. And so when, when I had that panic attack in that moment, and I finally had clarity around the change that I needed to do, when I, when I reached out to people that were from my tribe um, or from a former tribe, like they never left me, but they were letting me go on this, this pain of path alone, appropriately so, because I had, to, I had to hit that point so that I could then come back and, and be better. The world breaks everyone, and some are strong at broken places, right? That's like Ernest Hemingway talking about resilience. The world will break everyone, but some will be strong at those broken places. So you're not coming back because there is no coming back. You're coming back changed, and it's different. You are now something different. As you've been broken, you're now something different, and it's your choice to go in that direction. So I had friends. I had colleagues. I had former former teammates, former tri-mates. I just reached out to him. I was like, hey, freaked out. I don't know what's going on. And and I had those, I had those advocates that were hard on me and said, you're focusing on yourself. You're you're trying to be something you're not. You've never been successful with that in your life. You're trying to do this alone. When have you ever done anything in your life alone? Right. They they kind of shook sense into me. 
It was the most valuable thing uh, you know I ever had. So coming out of that, I leveraged the tribe. And I remembered, I remembered this extended tribe that I had and I built new tribe members and new, new friends and new colleagues. And I, I changed at the same time I started to kind of get into stoicism and philosophy in general and read a lot. And I changed from this external measure, how, how I'm measuring myself compared to somebody else, compared to what I should be. And I changed it and I focused on myself on the internal. How am I being a good man? How am I being uh, a worthy member of this tribe, this tribe, you know, the community. And that reaffirmed to me the purpose and direction in my life that then gave me a clear path. It, it wasn't an easy path, but it was, I had the clarity to say, that is my path. I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to go that direction. I'm going to surround myself with people that are going to keep me on that path and hold me accountable and, and nudge me and be cheerleaders and be critics as I go through that. And that has been my mantra. That has been my, my way, the path, the journey that I've been on since really that day. Whoa. So you went back to the pack. You went from being a lone wolf to part of a pack again. Yeah. You can't remember Was, like the, the pack is always there and, and, and they move off and because, and because they are thinking of the pack. Like that is, that is their job. They haven't left you. you. You've probably left them. You have to remember that your strength was the pack. Come back to the pack and give them your strength to, to add to them. And so was this. Was this formally organized? Was there pay to be a part of it? Talk a little bit about, because I mean, for me, all intents and purposes, this is a mastermind, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, that's a cool, cool question because going back to the idea of paradox, probably one of the most, one of the strongest aspects of military service is also one of the most ignored or undervalued. And that is the, the idea of community that you have. And, and you have different layers and levels. So when I when I meet another former service member in my head, I have I'm I'm hopefully projecting with hope I'm projecting to them that that they have these attributes, these values that that we were in common, that we held in common. And then at each level, as, as the similarities between the two of us get closer, at each level, that that kind of connection gets tighter. So if someone was a combat veteran, if someone spent time doing similar things, someone through similar challenges, if someone struggled as, as much as I did, that, that gives us this, this tighter and tighter bond. It then gives you agency or license to to support one another. And, and all of this happens in this like, brilliantly organic method you know we may add formality to it like hey jerome i'd love to talk to you every third friday 6 a.m to 7 that because it's useful and it's helpful in the way we do things and we recognize that there is this informal bond that is kind of like an open mind that's always there and i often joke there will be guys and gals that i haven't seen for years and haven't talked to for years that i served with and i'll see them and and it's like we were just talking yesterday you know and and, and we've all got examples of that you know from whatever experiences we had when you have that path and you that tribe you know you you have that connection with them and I think that, so it's an informal thing that's helpful and the formality as with most things adds kind of like sharper value crisper value because then you can start saying like hey if we're going to talk once a month let's have a topic list right and let's direction <laughs> put some direction in our conversations you you say if we're going to talk 
let's think about what each of us are trying to achieve. And then, oh, by the way, let's help each other achieve that. So there's there's wonderful organic and spontaneous things that can happen. And as with most things, when you add a little bit of discipline, a little bit of formality to it, it actually gives you a lot more direction. Bam. Okay. So I think that was your rock bottom. The I gotta have something different, right? Enough is enough. I want something different. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make something different. Since you've come out of that place, has there been anything that's tried to pull you back to the depths of mediocrity? Yeah, yeah. I saw. It. I thought of like uh, I'm a visual, a visual, you know, uh, verb person, visual speaker. I think of I think of all these challenges from our past. You know, the past us. And we carry, we carry these things like, like unwanted ghosts. And sometimes they're, they're unwanted demons. Sometimes they're, you know, whatever your, uh, you know, bad entity du jour is. To me, I think of them as, you know, things that were holding me back and that, that visual resonates with me. Some of them are really tiny and some of them hold me back because they're, they're like right here and they're like, they're telling you like, Hey, have that big slice of pie. Cause it looks really good. <laughs> you know? or, or Hey, you don't have to work out today. Cause I know you're sore. Some of them are, are more like the monkey on the back. Right. And they're kind of hanging on to you and they're saying like, no, that's okay. You can ignore that commitment. Like you've been busy. You don't have to turn that in. You don't have to get back to somebody. Right. And then some of them are, are like dragging, right. They're dragging their heels. They're dug in. They're, they're hanging onto my waistband. They're, they're clawing into you. And they're saying, no, no, no. Treat people with disrespect. Right. That's okay. Right. You're an important person. You're smart. It got you ahead before. Right. You can do that. Right. Be dismissive of other people's ideas. Don't hold yourself accountable, right? So there's there's these varying degrees that that these demons are kind of holding on to you. And you know, I, I thought the analogy was uh, appropriate because you know, as my as my back and my knees hurt, I know that I've got a lot of those demons kind of pulling hard. You know, for me, it's one of those things: the accomplishment of moving beyond. You know, the accomplishment of moving whatever my beyond is. The accomplishment of moving beyond was such a impactful thing for me that I will never, ever give in to, to being drugged back. There's, there's definitely days where I'm kind of held in position, right? There's, there's days where I'm making no progress, but I'll tell you what, if there's a breath in my lungs, like I will not be pulled back. And in order to be that way, you have to do all these things that we've talked about. You have to take care of yourself and take care of your mind, your mindset, your attitude about not giving in. You have to have surround yourself with people that are going to be supportive of your path, your tribe. These are all table stakes to, to just keep you from not going backwards, right? And then, and then you can layer in people that will help you move forward. And you can layer in habits and discipline that will help you move forward. Layer in habits and discipline to help you move forward because your habits make your life and you get to make your habits. Beautiful. 100%. Beautifully said. All right. So we're coming down to the final four, my friend. First Great. one. What are you most grateful for? I, the reason I love this question, and, and it's gotten very popular, I love this question for myself because it, it makes me realize that I don't tell my family who I'm most grateful for, especially my wife. I don't tell them enough how grateful I am for them. They help keep me on a path that is good for us as our little tribe and and good for me. And I don't tell them enough. And I, I literally have that written down here. It's like, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go grab lunch with Lauren. I'm going to say I am. And she'll probably like be dismissive because she's like super like old school stuff, like, ah, you know, whatever. But I truly mean that. 
Yeah. And you know how you cut through that is you look her right in the eyes and you grab both of her hands and you say, no, I really need you to listen. And then she's going to say, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) She's good. Actually, for for her, she'll probably walk and like check the insurance policy and be like, yeah, we're still covered. Good. (laughs) (laughs) You got to love them. But I mean, she's got to have some of that to be comfortable with you deploying and be comfortable with you being away and having these high risk military intelligence roles. Spy. All right. So which room are you most focused on catching up? You know, this gets back to like where I've gone and, and the idea. And we, we talked a little bit about in mathematics and physics that the distance between my fingers is an infinite distance. And and we often look because especially in our in our simple ways to look at things, we perceive more as better and we perceive, you know, the, the wider kind of accomplishment as better. The truth is the distance between my two hands and the distance between my fingers is infinite. It's actually equal. Like sure, I can measure and say it's one inch and stuff. But that's that's a construct that is useful for us to understand our perceived reality. In true concept, that infinite distance between is there. As I've gone on, I, I thought about, I always wanted to provide bigger impact to more people. And, and in particular around the idea of like development. I wanted people to be more, to, to move beyond. And over time, that's actually gotten much more precise. And now I look at like each individual, is there an opportunity for me to help that individual get beyond to close that infinite gap, even if it's a small step? Because now if you think about that, like and when I was in grad school, I, I, was, I was a mathematics geek and studied a lot of chaos theory. The idea that that one change in the environment, that one variable change has infinite opportunity, infinite ability to impact the system in total. And we don't even know what that impact is, hence the term chaos. We don't know what the results are going to be. That is a really cool proposition that you could have an impact on somebody and through their change, they can create infinite positive change. And I think one of the secret cool things about it is you may never find out. You may never know. That's kind of cool. Well, I I can say that over the last hour or so, you've definitely impacted the lives of probably hundreds of thousands of people when it's all said and done. And over the course of your life, I'm sure that impact will grow. And then even after you aren't here physically, it'll continue to be that because of the way that you've chosen to live your life and the way that you decided to serve us and help protect, right? Protect and provide is what most people boil down a man to be. And if you can do those two things, most people will uh, respect you. I think there's a few other things you have to do, but for a lot of folks, that that's just the kind of the basic or the base level. So with that said, what gift are you giving the world, Todd? I want to give the world, and I continuously work to give the world the confidence to move forward. And confidence may not be the right word for everybody, but I think it kind of comes to that. We we have an unlimited ability to change, to make change, to create outcomes for ourselves, for anybody else. And so much of the role that I play is, is helping people have the confidence to make that change. Sometimes it's it's the energy that you bring. Sometimes it's it's the science that you bring to them. Sometimes 
It's the harsh accountability you bring to them. At the end of the day, I think the, the outcome, the state is that, that someone has the confidence to say, I'm going to take that step, however small or big that step is, to then move forward. And we know from basic mathematics, once you have that initial motion, the follow-on is really kind of cool to see what happens. Hard to stop a freight train once it's moving, but you can keep <laughs> it there with the stick if it hasn't gone anywhere. All right. Final question, my friend. What do you want the listeners to take away from this talk? Well, yeah, I tell you first, I, I want to thank you for this time. And, and you know, I told you, it's I love what you're bringing to everybody, this tribe and this pack. And, you know, when I first reached out to you, it was it was that that kind of thing that pulled me into it. And, and I love it. And I, I want to keep it. You know, what I would share with everybody is you have everything with inside of you that you need to move beyond to be what you need to be, what you want to be. You have to believe that first. You have to believe that it can start with you and to think about it from that internal. What are you doing to help yourself move forward? And if you're stuck, if you're stuck on that, then find your pack and find your tribe because I think they'll nudge you. In the thing with fire, Todd, this has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much for sharing within our listeners. And ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from the man himself. It's an inside game. You've got to believe for yourself and then you can move forward and have whatever you want. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.